The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as you t- saw from that video, any runner or jogger will tell you it's easier to run with a group of people because you're not by yourself. And it's odd because at times runners like to be alone. Yes, I'm taking some pastoral privilege here to tell you my greatest hobby in the world, which is running. So if you're bored, I'm sorry. But it's in the scripture as well, right? But being around other people pushes you. They challenge you. When you run in a group, you have internal motivation. You want to keep up because they're keeping up. You want to keep going because they're still going. If you get injured, they're there to help you along the way. When others pick up their pace, you widen your stride and do the same. And when they push through the fatigue and the hardness, you push through the fatigue and the hardness. And that's why that video is so important to me. Because it's so much easier to run with others than it is to run alone. Now, it's easier to get out on yourself and do it all by yourself, but the effect that others have on you compel you to move on. And I want to remind you, that is what the author of Hebrews is doing. Someone asked me, Pastor, why do you use so many athletic metaphors? Well, the scripture uses a lot of athletic metaphors. Look back at verse 1. Let's remind ourselves here. In verse 1, John preached on this a couple weeks ago. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before you. It is an athletic metaphor that comes up there, and it comes up again in today's text. It reminds you of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, which you'll see on the screen, that says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the faint-hearted." Admonish the idle, excuse me, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. If we're honest with ourselves, it is much easier to run our race, so to speak, as Christians, to do our faith journey by ourselves than it is to be with other Christians. Because it hurts, it takes time, it isn't always the way we want it to be. We're not around the people we always want to be. We can say that from the pulpit, right? The reality is, it's easier to do your Christian faith by yourself than it is to do it in a group. But in a group, in a church, in the living body of Christ, when you walk with each other together in this faith race of life, there's so much encouragement that comes. When you fall, they're there to pick you up. When you need encouragement, a word fitly spoken in due time, they're there to give that to you. When there's a physical need, they're there to help you. And if you haven't found that here at our church and you've been a part of the church a long time, I would ask you, have you gotten to know the people of your church to that extent? Because to the extent that people know you, they know how to help you, to pray for you, and assist you. It is often a two-way street. And so this morning, each of us has a responsibility before the Lord to run the race that he's given us. But he's also given us a responsibility to run the race with the people he has set before us. You are not an island You are not a spiritual cul-de-sac to yourselves. You are a part of the body of Christ. So what does it mean to run a race together? How do we do that? And what does that look like? Our big idea today is going to help unpack that for us. As you'll see here, it says this. It's on your screen. It's also in your notes. It says, even as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we haven't run our race, faith race well, 
if we have been unconcerned about the whereabouts and the condition of the rest of the runners, both saved and unsaved. Reminder to you and to myself, I run my race best in my faith journey with Christ as I do well run with you. You run well when I run well. We have a mutual effect. And so together, as a church, we come together to run the race of faith. But how many times do people go to church, clock in, clock out, clock in, clock out, and they never get to know the other needs of the people around them? You're visiting with us today. I'm so glad you're here. I pray that you felt welcome as you walked in here. I pray that the the spiritual uh, uh, just uh, warmth that comes from Tower View is here. I pray that for you as well. But if you have not found a church home, consider this church. We are not perfect. They have a pastor who's doubly, triply not perfect. And God's people said, amen, right? (laughs) But we pray this is a place you find that is encouraging to you. And church members, this is why. This is why we chase after church members who have gone off this way. Because we want them to know. If you're a parent, this is why you continue to pray for your kids that they may know Jesus Christ. This is why you do everything in your power. And so this morning, I want you to see three things that we're going to look at this morning, three ways that we run the race to do this Christian life together. The first one I want you to see this morning is, a, is, is why do you do this together? Why do we do this? It's to encourage the limp, to encourage the limp. Look at verse 12. It's very clear from the text. He says, therefore, therefore, what's that based on? Based on last week when we talked about the discipline of the Lord is a good thing for you. That in being disciplined by the Lord, he's loving you. He's bringing things to your life that are hard to make you more like him. Therefore, because God has surrounded you with such a great cloud of witnesses, he says in verse 12, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Christian, part of your ministry in this world, if you want to use that word, part of your goal in this world is to help other Christians in a positive way. And not ours. Notice it's not our hands or our knees that it says in verse 12. This is referring to other brothers and sisters who are in the race of faith, but who are struggling, who are hard to reach. And while we run the race, others are growing weak and feeble. There's trials coming. There's persecution coming. There's all sorts of hard things coming, and we need to assist them. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been around when other Christians have come alongside you and spoken a word to you, and that's just what you needed to get back in the race that God has given you in the times and places he's called you to be. You know, a marathon runner grows weaker stride by stride. If you've ever driven 26 miles, isn't it tiring enough? When you run it, it's really even more tiring, trust me. And what he is saying here is their arms are beginning to droop. The first thing that goes when you run a marathon is your form starts to slack. Instead of running well, you start to, I'm just going to make it through the day. That's how most of us feel at 5 o'clock, right? We're just kind of making it. And your legs begin to wobble and feeble, and they they do what a lot of people do when they're, you know, they just kind of, you just get out of sync. And what he's saying to them and what he's telling us is that there are people in your midst that you know well, but you may not know the struggles that they're going through, but they need your help. They need your prayers. They need your encouragement. They need everything. Well, how do you notice these people? Well, they may slow down in their attendance. They may stop coming to church because they're ashamed of some sin in their life. They may slow down in their Bible study. And you may look around and say, where's so-and-so? They were so on fire for Jesus, but now where are they? So he's saying to them and saying to us, listen, 
I know you're struggling in your faith. I know you're being tested in your faith. And that is the Lord's doing. That's the discipline, perhaps. But you need to come alongside. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't sit down. Keep moving. One foot in front of the other. Focus on the finish line. Get there. Isaiah 35, 3 and 4. Nelson read this earlier. It says, encourage the exhausted. Strengthen the feeble. And say to those with anxious hearts, do not fear. All right, here's your free Bible trivia for the day. Are you ready? What is the most repeated command in the Bible? Do not fear. Job 4, 3 and 4, when Job's friends tell him at first, before they get into launching all their their attacks on him, they, they encourage him with these words. They say, Job, behold, you've instructed many and strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld many who are stumbling and many whose knees were weak. Ezra 6.23, Ezra encouraged them in their work. He encouraged them to keep going even when there was opposition to the work. Deuteronomy 3.28, Moses said to Joshua, I charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. He put concrete into their spiritual backbone. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us to encourage one another. Verse 14, we read that a minute ago. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all. Notice that it says uh, admonish the idle or unruly. He doesn't say encourage the unruly. He says encourage those who are weak, faint-hearted, and having a hard time. Older ladies, it says in Titus 2.4, older women are to encourage the younger women. Their husbands may be out. They may have a small kid at home. They may be struggling to make uh, connections. They're not as vibrant as they used to be because they're taking care of little mouths and little hands. They need that encouragement as well. Here's the point. Tower View needs to be the most encouraging place on planet Earth. Do you agree with that? When you walk in here, do you feel more of the law or more of the gospel when you walk into Tower View Baptist Church? That's a reflection question. As we look out, as we try to lead you, as we go through these times, this should be a place where sinners are saved, sin is not. Do you see that difference? There is a time and a place for me to get up here and channel my inner Billy Graham and pound the pulpit and say, that's a sin. Get it. Stop it. But there is also a time and a place where we come around each other, we hug, we pray, we cry, We mourn, and we just are sad for what's going on because you know it's hard, and I know it's hard. That's the kind of place. Can we do both? My hand hurt, by the way. That actually really hurt. (laughs) I'm not the karate kid. But I will tell you this. We need both in our life. And what he is telling them is these people around you, other Christians, church member at Tower View, can I ask you a question? Do you even know the names of the people sitting across in the pews from you? And Jeff Jones said, who are you? You can, you can dogpile him after in a dogpile love. My point is this. You're to encourage them. What does the word encourage mean? It means literally to encourage. It means that you put courage into someone's heart. You, you put them forward. You use them in a way or you encourage them in a way that pushes them to the greater spot in their faith. Look around and see what God has done. That is what he's doing among us. There are people on all sides who are falling by the wayside. They need your help. He said, well, pastor, if I just had a directory, look, before a directory comes out, you have real life faces in here, some of which you don't know very well. Get to know them. Shake their hands. Give them a hug. Say, hey, 
I know this is awkwardly awkward, as awkward as I'm about to say it. I don't remember your name. I've seen you for five years. Can you tell me your name once again? And I bet you'll never forget that encounter, and you'll be able to encourage one another. But perhaps there are some of you here today who just need to be reminded of this encouragement. The Lord is on his throne. You may not need to hear a direct word from a brother or sister. You just need to be reminded of where your Lord is. He is on his throne. He reigns in the heavens. All things work for the good of those who love him. You can do all things through Christ. You consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, James 1, and you have all the endurance to do it. God is working for your good, and he's on track. Stay the course. That's what he's telling you. Teresa, I agree. Amen. (laughs) Stay the course. But church, I would pray for your part. If you're a church member here today, I would pray that you would be here to encourage the limp. Maybe not limp physically, although that is a help as well, but the limp spiritually. And if you don't know what those needs are, then pray, God, how is it that I can be a blessing to someone else in this church? Guys, there is a place for church discipline. There is a place for hard preaching. There is a place for for spitting out, as it were, as some say, preaching fire like that, even brimstone at times. But so often we forget that other side. Theological, robust, God-centered, gospel-centered, Christ-loving, spirit-led Christians have a backbone for truth, but a white glove of encouragement right alongside of it. We can do both, and we can do both well. That's what God calls us to. Second thing is this. We're to encourage the limp, but we're also, secondly, to establish the lame. Establish the lame. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me, if you will. He says, and make, and he's continuing the thought, and make straight paths for your feet, so what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace. These are commands here. Strive for peace with everyone, for holiness, which out no one will see the Lord. What he's saying is, is that some people are weak. They've already been hit and are, are, are going down. If you can imagine, if, if all of us are running around a track, and, and, and if you know me well enough, give me a treadmill over a track any day. That's a personal preference. But if you can imagine running around the track of all your life of the spiritual faith, and, and the sun is hot, and people are just, you know, they're just sweating, and they're falling down, and they're just getting weak. And he tells them again, make straight paths for your feet. What is he saying? He says, don't run in a crooked manner. Run with holiness and purity. Stay in your lane, straight and narrow, straight living. And he gets us straight out of the Old Testament. You can write these down for reference to look up later, but Deuteronomy 5, 32 says this. It says, you shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord God has commanded you. You shall not turn to the right hand or to the left. Don't veer away from the word of God. That's Deuteronomy 5.32. Deuteronomy 17.20 says that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so he may continue in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel, speaking of the king of Israel that was to come. How about Joshua 1.7? We quote these other verses of Joshua, but Joshua 1.7 says this, "...only be strong and very courageous." being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left hand, that wherever you go, you may have success. So what is success according to the Bible? It's that you stay on the straight and narrow. What verse 13 says, you make your paths straight. And other Christians, I'm going to encourage you today that sometimes when you see another Christian going out this way or doing this, the one thing we don't want to do is, well, that's their business, that's not mine. 
I'll just wait and see what happens on TVBC News, how we can pray for them. You know what? Sometimes it is your business to get in someone else's spiritual business. We're not talking about being a gossip. We're not talking about being nosy. We're not talking about getting itching ears. Oh, did you? Oh, I got a prayer request for you. Oh, yeah, let's pray about that. There are some times when the best way you can help someone in a loving way is to be alongside them enough to ask them questions. Hey, I noticed that you hadn't been here. Hey, I, I noticed that, 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 that you don't see as joyous with the Lord that you used to be even a week ago. Is everything okay? How can I pray for you? What has God been teaching you? Ask those questions. Look, I like to talk about the weather with you. I'll talk sports with you all day. Uh, I, I, I try to talk sewing with the sewing group on Tuesdays. I, don't, I get about this far, and they, they tolerate me. I'll talk with you about life, but the greater questions are, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing? Because these people are falling. Their paths are not being straight. And so you know what? We are to run in paths of obedience. So as we run our path of obedience, they look at us and say, I'm struggling. I'm suffering. But that guy's carrying on in the right lane. Let me go with him. I might not be as fast. I might not be as strong. I'm weak as can be, and I'm discouraged. But I see this other person making their path straight when it's hard. Maybe I can make my path straight hard too. Your faith speaks more than just to God. Your faith is also an example to other people. And that's what he calls us here too. Why? Look at verse 13. So that the limb that's lame may not be put out of joint. Lame or put out of joint depends on your translation. In other words, if you live your life with obedience, you'll have a positive effect on people. What's the positive effect? Look at the end of verse 13, that they may be what? Healed. Can you really have an effect on someone that way? Their faith, once again, can become strong because you are walking not to the right, not to the left, but in the path that God has called you to in his word. As a parent, what a, what a weight of responsibility that is with, with six watching eyes looking at me all the time. Grandparents, parents, it's a reminder to us to encourage ourselves that we are a lasting influence on our kids, that we will forever be, good or bad, the example they see with Christianity at the very first. They will be. So it encourages people to dust off themselves and get back in the race. Now, verse 14 is going to tell us how to do that, how to keep our path straight. But the point is, as you are running your race and others are struggling and falling down with drooping uh, arms and wobbly legs and knees and all these things, they will look to you as an example of your faith. So what are the ways that we pursue? Look at verse 14. It tells you straight from the text. The first way is, is that we pursue peace with all men. We pursue peace with all men. It says in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace. That word strive there, or excuse me, that word peace there is not a peace between God and man. It is not your job to save someone and get them into heaven. Whose job is that, church? That's God's job. Yeah, Jesus, it's all that, right? Sunday school answers are always good in those situations. That is a sub, it's not talking either about a peace, a subjective peace, like the peace in Philippians 4 that surpasses all understanding. It's not talking about a God and man peace or a subjective feeling peace. It's talking about the relational peace between warring brothers and warring sisters. Oh, can you believe what brother so-and-so said about sister Susie so? You would never believe it. You know what? It says strive for peace. The way we run our race is it promoting peace among the family of God? Look, nothing is more exhausting 
in a church, in a family, in a relationship when people are at odds with each other. Been there, done that, haven't you? Husbands, when you misread your wife for the thousandth time during the day, you understand that, don't you? Amen, men? And all the guys kept very quiet, very quickly in that sense. Look, when you're around others who are at odds with each other, it'll drain you, give you a headache, it'll just wears you down. But the Bible calls us to pursue peace. Psalm, you can write these down, Psalm 34, 14. Psalm 34, 14 says, seek peace and pursue it. Matthew 5, 9, one of the eight Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Not gossips, not discouraging, but peacemakers. Matthew 5, 23 says, and we say this before every Lord's Supper, if you're presenting your offer at the altering, Jesus says, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go and present your offering. Look, if you know someone has something against you and you haven't settled that, you are discouraging people in their race with Christ. Romans 12, 17 and 18. Paul says, never repay evil for evil, but so long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Did you know there are going to be people in your lives that don't want to be at peace with you, even though you try it and try it and try it and try it? You can apologize. You can take flowers. You can take their favorite gift card. You can take them to CC's Pizza for lunch a thousand times over, and they don't care. Their job is to be a thorn in your side for the rest of your life. And can I just say something on behalf of Nelson and Brian and myself? We are grateful, church, that you are not that type of people to your leadership here at Tower View Baptist Church. There are a lot of people that serve in churches, serve in churches, that their one mission is to keep the pastors humble because if the pastors are humble, then God will use them. And they are more vicious to those people than Satan would be. And Satan just says, hey, church member, you want them, you got them. You're doing my dirty work for me. Don't be those people. And don't be those people to each other. He says, pursue peace and build each other up. But he also says, pursue purity. Pursue purity. The way that you keep people and encourage people is to be an example by your relationships. Do you have odds with someone else here at this church? Maybe they're not a member here at this church anymore, but they're at another church. Is there peace you need to settle with them? Maybe it's been 50 years, five years, five seconds, whatever. Live in peace with all people. But here at the end of verse 14, he says, pursue purity. It says, why? Why pursue purity? Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, I want you just to go with me for a second here in your mind. Just, just engage with me. You may have that word, how many of y'all have the word sanctification in verse 14? A few of y'all, I think that's New American Standard, maybe King James even. The word holiness is probably the better translation, but it also comes from the same root word, which means sanctification. Sanctification is a million-dollar word that means set apart. It means different. It means not the same. It means a purity level. And so in the Bible, there are three types of sanctification. You ready for this? There is positional sanctification. That is where God, when you were saved, you are in right standing with God. He sees you as he sees his son, perfectly pure in all things. It's not what we're talking about. There's also a perfect sanctification. You know all those songs that we sing about someday, that when we get to heaven, sin will be no more. Everything will be washed away. 
That's one type, but that's not what we're talking about here. What the writer of Hebrews is saying when he says, pursue purity, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He's saying, this is a progressive thing. God is making you time and time again to be more like Jesus Christ. To put it another way, as you pursue holiness, it has a powerful effect on all those who've gone down to the track in discouragement or weakness in their faith. As you grow in Christ, others see your growth in Christ and are encouraged to pursue their own growth in Christ. Would it not be like a little kid who sees their dad shaving, who walks in one day and the house is quiet and you're trying to find, and you know if you're a parent and the house goes quiet unless it's like nine o'clock at night or whatever time they go to bed, something's up. And then they walk in the bathroom and what's that little kid done with the shaving cream? And mom comes in and says, and just sees the mess and the eyes go up and ah, you know, it's just, it's a crazy scene. But what is that kid doing? He's just following what he saw his daddy do, right? And so too it is here. As you pursue your relationship with Christ and grow in the holiness of Christ, of which no one will see the Lord, others will be like that little kid in their faith perhaps, and they'll want to grow with you. They'll want to do as you do. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. No one will see the Lord. Look, if there's not a pursuing a peace with all men, you're not saved. And if you're not pursuing the holiness of the Lord, you're not saved. Look, if you're not a Christian here today, this probably all sounds kind of funky and weird. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's a holy God and there's unholy people. And there's no way to get to holy God except through Jesus Christ who gave his life for all people. It doesn't say we work for salvation or prove it. It says Jesus died one time. And to do that, we have to pursue faith and holiness. Can I encourage you today? If you know of conflict in this church that you have not tried to seek reconciliation for, whether you're in it or not, you're not striving for the peace that God is seeking. How do we kill Tower View Baptist Church? Start a rumor, start a lie, let there be unresolved conflict, and don't seek peace. That's how you kill a church. Doctrine rarely kills churches. Bad doctrine can kill a church. If you don't believe Jesus is the only way, that's going to kill a church pretty quick. Look at all the mainline denominations from Methodism to Anglicanism and all those, blah, blah, blah. They're dying a slow death because the truth has long since exited. That is a reality. How do most churches die? Because most people don't care about anyone else but themselves. May it never be at Tower View Baptist Church. He established the lane. He ends with this. Not only do we establish the lane, but number three, how do we run this together? We evangelize the lost. Wait, isn't he writing to Christians? Wait, isn't he trying to raise them up? Well, know what it says in verse 15. He says, see to it that nobody has, no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one obtains the, the grace of God. You may have in your Bible that word comes short. What's he talking about here? He's now shifting his gears and saying, look, there are people among you who are living among you who do not know Jesus Christ. Every church has them. We have a lot of kids in this church, and if you're a kid here today and you're not asleep already and you're awake, kids, we are so glad you're here. Someday you have to make a decision as to whether you believe in Jesus Christ. Adults, if you're here as a spouse or just a random person, we're so glad you're here. But I want you to know, 
You have to make a decision for Jesus Christ. So he says that some people can come up short in their faith journey. That word come up short means to fail or suffer. It's the same words, and you can quote it with me. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and what? Fall short, same word. But he tells them to see to it. See to it. In other words, do what 2 Corinthians 13.5 says. Test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. 2 Peter 1.10 says, make sure your calling and election are sure. Look, we must be certain that no one comes up short in our church. We must be sure that everyone who is on a membership role, everyone who's in our midst that we can be accountable for, knows the Lord. But what if you get a whiff, a stench, that someone in our church may not be saved? But hold on, time out, time out. You are not the salvation police. I don't have a badge. You don't have a badge. But at the same time, the Bible says you will know. You will know, we do that to make sure you're awake. (laughs) You will know someone is a Christian by their fruit. You are not to be the salvation police. You are not to go be, walk around everyone, and you are the jury, judge, and everything else. But at the same time, the Bible calls us in love and gracefulness. If we find someone in our church we're not sure is saved, to go through some questions. So what does that mean? Key words here. First, you need to recognize. There is a recognition. That is number one, a recognition. Six key words about those who may come up short. There is a recognition that in churches, just because someone joins a church, prays a prayer, comes to Sunday Bible study, stays for the last Sunday potluck, doesn't guarantee they're a Christian. And if that surprises you, it should not. Because the Bible is very clear that even in the fellowship of the early church, there were people who thought themselves to be Christian, but were not. So if you know someone who comes, don't be surprised. They may not be a Christian. Number two, there is an inspection that should happen. We don't look judgmentally with a holier-than-thou attitude, but God has called us based upon the Scripture to be, as it were, fruit inspectors. Matthew 5, 16, you will know them by their fruit. Every true Christian will bear spiritual fruit. No, they're not growing bananas and oranges out of their noses and ears. That's just weird. But there will be evidence whether they know Jesus. Go read the book of 1 John, the nine tests of faith. Matthew 12, 22, a tree is known by its fruit. We're not looking for some mystical insight. Only God knows. But, but if you know, if you, if you are considering how you can encourage other Christians, whether there's a question whether someone's saved, the question is, are they growing in holiness? Is there something in their life that shows there's a spiritual heartbeat that God has given them? And that happens, what do you do? Number three, you're going to pray. There's going to be intercession. There's going to be intercession. If there's someone that you think, and I want you to know, you say, Darren, again, that's their business. Whether they're a Christian or not, that's not, mm -mm, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting into that. Then the one and other passages of the New Testament, you can just chuck those as well because the Bible calls us to this level. We are not the Holy Spirit, but we need to pray to God for them to do only what he can do. James 5, 16, may I remind you, says in the old King James, memorize this as a kid, the righteous man, uh, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's powerful. The most unloving, unkind thought you can have is, oh, Joe, huh, he's really a Christian. If you have a sniff of a doubt, 
about someone being a Christian, the most unloving thing you cannot do for them is to not pray for them. That's not being mean. That's not being hard-hearted. Because even Paul said in Romans 10.1, my heart's desire is that every one of them would be saved. And there may come a time, number four, where you may have to have communication with them. We need to testify to them and talk to them about the Lord has given them uh, has given you multiple chances. And look, if you're here today and you've, you've been in church your whole life and you know all the lingo and you know how to shake the pastor's hand and say the right words so he won't ask you those deep questions, you walk out the door and you don't know Jesus, you need to come to know that truth today. There's a communication. If you know someone like this, there's going to be a time and a place where you sit down with them and say, I'm not really sure you're saved. I know that sounds funny. Love me. Here's a big hut bear hug. You may need to share the gospel with them. But number five, there's a compassion that comes. If you see that someone has come up short, there is a compassion that comes. No one has ever been nagged into the kingdom of heaven, men and women, parents, grandparents. You draw more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, don't you? Think about that for a second. It's okay to smile even if you think they're lost. They're not the enemy. The enemy has been dealt with once and for all when Jesus said, it is finished, it is done. We have no enemies in this world. Be an example of what they need. Let the joy of Christ be seen in their life and let them see what is missing. And there is lastly a persuasion. Not that you persuade their heart, that is God's work, but you need to call them to a full commitment in Jesus Christ. Say, Darren, I still cannot believe you would ask us as church members to be spiritual fruit inspectors for other people. Once again, you must take out pages of the Bible like Thomas Jefferson did and throw them away. Because if you are a Christian and you care for other Christians in the faith race of life to get them to the finish line, you need to ask them. I remember years ago, Larry King, I'm really showing my age. I'm going to look at Ben because he's kind of my barometer of these things. Ben, Larry King, okay, he's, he's kind of nodding his head. You all remember Larry King, guy about my size, very good interviewer. He was an agnostic. And uh, that's because Ben was told who Larry King was, apparently. But there it is. Larry King was an interviewer on CNN for years, and he interviewed a famous pastor who I've just had a bent on the last few days. He interviewed multiple times a smiling pastor from Houston, Texas, Joel Osteen. And on numerous occasions over the times, Larry, who was an agnostic, would ask him, Joel, do you believe that Christians are the only way to heaven? And Joel would do his classic, well, Larry, you know, not so sure about all these things. You know, I have to think at some point, Larry King, as far as we know, never came to know Christ. And may God correct me if I'm wrong. He never came to know. And if he is separated from Christ forever, that God someday will show him back, and especially as Joel Osteen dies, and show him back those replays of those interviews and ask him, Joel, why didn't you share the gospel with him? Because I bet you right now, if Larry is separated from the Lord, he wishes that the greatest pastor in America, quote-unquote, would have shared the gospel with him. If we love people, we tell people the truth. It takes compassion. It takes communication, intercession, all those things. But friends, I want to tell you something. Don't assume someone is saved just because they say they are. That doesn't mean everyone who breathes isn't saved. But I want you to be clear here. If you are a member of this church, one of the best conversations you can have someone in this church is do you know for certain where you're going when you don't? 
Sometimes the greatest evangelism happens with the people across the rows that think they're saved, but they're not. And what example does he give us as we close? Look at verse 16. Notice what he says. He tells us, actually in verse 15, he says, let no root of bitterness come up. What's he talking about here? It's not salvation. It's, 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 it's not salvation. It's an ungodly life. Let no one be among you who turns out to be like this guy in verse 16. You know his name. His name is Esau. Look what it says about him as we close. That, and let no one become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. What happened with Esau? You remember the story, don't you? There were two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older. Esau was the hunter-gatherer. Jacob was the farmer, if you will, the tender of the, the sheep. He was not the man's man. He was the mama's boy. You know the story. But Esau came so hungry one day. It's like when our kids come in, there's, you know, you just can't give them enough food. You just can't fill that bill. They're like a 15-year-old boy. Just your grocery bill just. Esau came in, and Jacob said, I'll give you this bowl of porridge for your birthright. And what did Esau do? Take no hesitation with? Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. He sold his birthright, which was a rite of passage in those days. The birthright was basically his ticket to take care of his family and to be taken care of. It was a special blessing by the Father. But he valued worldly goods more than his own soul. Esau was the epitome of what Jesus said in the Gospels, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? It's almost like Esau said, I'll trade you my spiritual privileges for a double stacker at Wendy's. He wanted the whole world more than he wanted the Lord. He wanted the physical more than the spiritual. He bought high and he sold low. And people do this daily. Judas did it for 29 pieces of silver, and so many people live in that way. So verse 17 says, it says, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was what? He was rejected. You're out of here. It wasn't just that he was going to get a physical blessing, but his heart had so turned away from the Lord, the Lord turned him over to his sin, and there was no time for him to be saved. What the writer of Hebrews is telling these people is don't do this. If you are here today, and this is the last slide we'll put up today, if you are here today and you hear the gospel, do not reject it. You must turn to the Lord. Esau is a perfect example of someone who heard the words, knew the words, could tell you the words about the gospel, but had never turned from their sin. He came up short. He failed to obtain the grace of God. He wasn't running the race because he wasn't even in the race. You know, in some running races, they have what are called bandits because people, people pay and they get a bib number. You've heard about these people before. They'll, they'll wear a bib number. Probably the most famous bandit that ever happened was Rosie uh, back in the 1983 Boston Marathon, she just suddenly showed up at the finish line. She had no sweat on her shirt. Some of you may remember this. She showed up with no sweat on her shirt. They declared her to be the winner. When they asked the other female athletes they thought were number one and number two, did you ever see this lady? They're like, no. But she was wearing kind of manly clothes, so that was her excuse. And finally, the pressure from the media. You can look this up. True story, 1983. Finally, the pressure from the media. They just point blank Daster, did you cheat? And she said, yes, I did. <laughs> but guess what? That crown that she wanted, the money that she desired, was all taken away just like that. 
Look, if you're not a Christian here today, there comes a point where God has given you the best of the best knowledge that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And there's coming a point where God is going to strip away that knowledge because you love your sin more than you love him. And there's a point of no return where he will say, you want it, you got it, take it, run with it. But you'll never get to come back. Esau sought it with tears. He cried about going to heaven. But his heart's desire was really not about going to heaven. It was about gathering the things of this world. So if you're here today, we need to remember what the Bible tells us to do. We are to encourage the weak, encourage the the lame, the limp, establish the lame, and evangelize the lost. Church, I love our church so much because I think a lot of these we are light years ahead in, but we can always grow, including the pastor who's preaching to you today. You pray for me in this and my family. I'll pray for you in this and your family, and together we pray for it as we do. Will you join me in prayer as we close out today? Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. As I think of my online running friend from uh, the great country of Wales across the sea, Matt, who helped that man who was literally about ready to collapse at the finish line so many years ago. Father, I think of us as Christians, of how many Christians we are just unwilling to bring into our lives because it's going to cost us something. Father, would you help us to be as these were commanded to in Hebrews, to come alongside, to point them the right direction, to encourage, to pray for, to help, even at times have a difficult conversation. Do you really know the Lord? But Father, all the way reminding ourselves that it's by grace we stand as well. Lest we think that we who are standing, that we won't fall. Oh, Lord, help us. But Father, I also pray today for any in our lives that are lost and need the gospel of Christ. Father, would you help us to know the truth and for the truth to set us free? And Lord, if there's any in the sound of my voice that haven't come to Jesus, would you just, by your spirit, break down any thing that's holding them back from believing that your son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, rose again, died for them, even while they were still sinners. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things today. May our church here at Tower View, no matter how many people we have, no matter how many buildings or programs we have, no matter how great the budget is or isn't, may our place always be a place of encouragement that points us back to fixing our eyes on the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things today in his name, in Jesus' name.
see exclusive words spoken and the deliver word is preached and very often the key words that I believe to hold today speak on guilt and very quickly if you're thinking how am I condemned have I gone too far please know this yes even now declares the Lord return to me with all your heart it's spoken in the third party yes even now wherever you have been if you have been very clear and secret sin that no one knows if you've walked in the wrong for a while and you've walked in darkness this is a known thing where this is your very secret thing you've walked in the darkness and you've lying has not touched you you see if you have been walking yet even now Hearts, and to the Lord. Return to the Lord your God, for He 